And she said, if you're going to fail at anything, it is better to have that experience when you're younger than when you're older. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. This is Eric Huberman, and you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Tony Ko. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How are you? Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. And so to start, you know, I always like to say, like, at this point, you've built an amazing beauty empire, and you're an incredible entrepreneur investor. I have to ask, like, at three, four years old, were you, like, designing makeup lines and trying different things? Like, how, how, where did it all start? Let's take it back to the three, four-year-old Tony. I was not designing makeup, that is for sure. But... <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always known that I was going to live a very unique and different life from very young age. I don't know if it was three or four, but at least when I was in elementary school, like I'm talking about like fourth grade, third grade or fourth grade, I still remember like I was like third grader going, I'm not going to get married and I'm going to be my own woman. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> where, where were you born? Like, give me the background. Where, where did life start? Yeah, so that's South Korea. So I was born and raised in South Korea till 1986. And uh, I was 13 years old when my family moved here. And it was really amazing when we came. I still remember landing in LAX and just breathing in the fresh air and the sunshine. I'll never forget that moment. That's awesome. And so were were your parents entrepreneurial? Like, tell me a little bit more about your parents. Yeah. So uh, actually both my parents come from entrepreneurial family. So my grandfather was an entrepreneur. So my actually, so a part of me is North Korean. So my, my dad's side, we're from North Korea, but not, we're not, we're not defectors. My grandfather moved to South Korea during the Korean war. And what happened was he's, he actually thought that there's just going, there's just a battle. He's just going to move to the South for a little bit. And, you know, Mm -hmm. once the battle's over, he was going to move back to his town. That never happened. Then the border closed and uh, he was never able to go back to his family. And the only person he brought with him to the South was my father. Basically, our entire extended family on my father's side is in North Korea, and we don't know whether they're alive or they're dead. We don't know what happened to them, but they start, and my dad was at this time about like maybe like six years, six or seven years old. And so they started a new life in Korea, and my grandfather was a very successful businessman in Korea. We were in a garment textile business. Okay, Uh, nice. uh Uh-huh, fabric dyeing business. That's what they were doing. That's what they did. And then like we doubled on the textile business until we moved to U.S. in 1986. so what caused that move? Why did your parents want to leave everything they knew? Better life. Why do people come to America? We come for <laughs> better opportunities and better lives. And nice. Got it. And so did he have a plan coming in or was it just like, I don't want to be in South Korea anymore. Let's just go to the U.S. and figure this out. Well, I was so young that I didn't know, but, you know, obviously my parents, you know, there had to be, you know, for like better life for their children. And, you know, like I'm talking about 1986, this is pre-1988 yeah. Seoul Olympics. And like, this is like when Korea, uh, it was a very different Korea, 1980s, early 80s was like very different country, uh-huh. but I was so young and I had no idea. And all I thought was, oh my God, I'm going to America. Like I get to eat all the bananas I want and, and the houses have swimming pool in their back yard and I'm <laughs> so uh, that was me got it and so you land here where did you end up in the U.S. where did you start 
Yes. So we ended up, uh, my mom had a friend in Burbank and my mom had asked her friend to prepare like an apartment for us. Mm-hmm. And obviously we didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, my grandfather was a, an amazing entrepreneur, but then my dad, we lost a lot of family fortune and whatnot. And so by the time we came to America, we didn't have a lot of money. I did not know how little money that we had. Um, you know, when you're young, you just don't know the, that. Right. So my mom's friend had rented a a two bedroom apartment for us, like in this like San Fernando Valley. I think it's like wedge between like a Glendale and Burbank ish area, mm-hmm. and uh, we that's where we landed and uh, we started. My family started with a very small beauty supply store, a retail store, like one location, small retail store, and. Yeah. And uh, that's actually kind of like my whole entire beauty career, I would say, started because, you know, I was that kid that's working in your parents' uh, store. Um, No refund, no exchange. (laughs) (laughs) And that was uh, in Burbank, the store? And this was like in San Fernando Valley area. Nice. Uh, yeah. So just working in the family business. So like we worked really hard and uh, I went to help my mom at the store, like every after school, every weekend, like every summer vacation, we never took a day off. Like we worked every day and uh, I kind of like business to me is like, I kind of like, you know, how, like you never learn how to eat, but you know yeah. how to eat. Yeah. Like I just, I just, I kind of, I was like a sponge that's just like observing everything. Yeah. So I worked in the family business until I was 25. Okay. Then, yeah. So it was a, it was pretty long. So by then I had close to like 10 years under my belt already. Right. No. Which I think um, is like such an important thing to highlight. Like so many people don't get that, like even side jobs, high school jobs, working summers in college, if you're going to school or during college. All those add up to real experience that, you know, you, as you just said, at 25, you had 10 years experience. Not many 25-year-olds can say that. And it's totally available to young people. Like I was thankful, like, thankfully, I had the same kind of approach where it was, you know, from a young age, I wanted to learn all about business and learn how to do things that by the time I graduated at 21, I had four or five years experience of working in businesses and being a part of it that you can hit the ground running versus starting when you're 21, 22 which that would put them at 32 before they even had your experience at 25. I agree with you 100%. I mean, like, I don't know what the legal age is to get like part-time job, but you could get a part-time job at Starbucks, McDonald's, or like whatever. It's not just, you know, it's not just a part-time job that pays you minimum dollars. If you are really tuned in to exactly what is going on and learn and observe, you get to learn customer behavior, how a system works, the, the boundaries that you need to set between your your coworkers, your boss, people who report to you, whatever that is, it's a life experience. It's a learning experience that it's like going to school without yep. paying. You're actually getting paid to go. When to you school. also, as a young age, you start to learn what you like about it. I, my favorite memory is my I worked at a health food store in high school, and the general manager was like, "You hate tedious work, but you seem to love working with people." And it's like that always stuck with me because it's true. He nailed it. He was right. And to this day, I hate tedious work, but I love working with people. <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah, so, okay, so did you end up going to college or anything? Or did you get out of high school and just stick with the family business? What was that education? Yeah. So I went to Glendale College and I was going to transfer, but that never happened. I kind of started my own business. But, you know, I have to... I. 
came to us when I was 13 years old and uh, I was put in seventh grade and I had to do ESL, which is English as second language. And, you know, just coming to going to another country, being in seventh grade and like putting in school and you don't understand, you can't read, you can't understand, you can't speak. Your learning abilities are like, gets almost capped and it's like having overnight you have learning disability when you actually yeah. don't have learning disability it's a very different experience it's a very different environment so with that I kind of like I have to say like I I went clubbing a lot <laughs> when I was like in high school I had my fake ID and I wasn't the best student so uh-huh. that academically I wasn't very successful but that doesn't mean that I wasn't reading a lot so I I have a lot of my learnings from reading and stuff like that but I am a college dropout Got it. And, <laughs> and it makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it's not thought of a lot, but it, it, to ask someone, like, it's one thing to learn another language, like difficult enough, but to learn enough, be in seventh grade where you not only have to learn the language, but you have to learn all the other things that seventh graders are learning in that new language. Like, that's the part, like, I always, like, I speak Spanish pretty well, but when I go to Mexico and I'm asked about it, I'm like, I can speak like a preschooler, but I'm not going to like do business in Spanish. Like the, when you start to get into more complicated things, which you're trying to learn, I don't remember what we learn in seventh grade, but let's say, you know, when you get into high school calculus or whatever it is while trying to understand English and learn calculus, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, the thing is like, I think if you come, like, I think there's like an odd, like for, there's a lot of immigrants, right. In this country, especially Mm -hmm. in Southern California too. And I think um, I've given, I've given this a lot of thought, you know, if anybody's like thinking about moving to another country and they're thinking about bringing their children and if they're thinking about their children's education, I think it's best if you actually immigrate when the children are much younger. So you're not learning a language, you're observing a language like a sponge or rather later when you have learned everything that you need to learn from schooling and you just need to translate it into a different language. But like at 13, it's just a, such an odd age. I have a lot of friends there, like amazingly incredible friends, but who are kind of my my kind of boat. And, uh, you know, like to all of us, school is really challenging because you're trying to learn something you don't know in a language you don't know. Yeah, no, makes sense. And so 25, did what was the move? You had an idea and you're like, I'm done, parents. I'm good luck with the store. I'm out. Yeah, no. So here's the thing. Me being like Asian and coming from the Asian family, like they don't believe in paying for your service. So I worked in the family business all that time without my mom. Never, She never paid me. Yeah. But I, I lived at home. And, uh, you know, I had no expense, so I didn't really need money either. But, you know, by this time, my friends were all getting jobs and like they were now starting to live that career woman lifestyle. And I was looking at my life. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like I live at home. I work in my family business. I'm not getting paid. And so and I saw a really great opportunity. You know, I love makeup. I love cosmetics myself. And uh, I was going to drugstores to a drugstore to buy some of the products and products were really not good. The quality was really bad. And I wanted to go to a department store and buy fancy items. But again, my parents didn't pay me. So I didn't have a lot of money. So I couldn't really afford it. But being in that family business kind of for a very long time, I kind of knew how much was budgeted for marketing and like the beauty industry. Like it really did not need like products really didn't need to be that expensive. So marrying the two idea of me being a consumer and me seeing where the market position is, mm-hmm. I like I wanted to launch a brand that looked really high end, like chic and sleek, that is really good quality without having to spend fortune of money in marketing. So my my uh, preferred marketing method was the the tested and true, the oldest marketing method, word of mouth. 
Mm-hmm. I just sold, I just launched a line of lip liners and eyeliners that looked amazing, really great quality at a really low price. And let the c- customers do all the talking and yep. do all the advertising for me. And that's nice. Cool. And so was that NYX? Yeah, that's NYX Cosmetics, yeah. So it's taking a step back. How did you know how to manufacture, where to go? I know you had the experience in the beauty store, but did you just start calling contacts or how did you do that? Oh, so I knew this one manufacturer that was in uh, New Jersey that made uh-huh. pencils for some of the, the the brands that we were we were selling at our family business. So I flew out to New York and I took a red eye. I remember I took a red eye. It was the cheapest flight. I think it was like literally like $200 or something. Like it was the cheapest flight I can find. I landed in um, Newark airport and I didn't want to spend money on like hotels. I went just to airport airport bathroom just like barely got ready like changed my clothes went to a meeting and then I flew out the same day afternoon because I don't want to spend money on hotel. I, I've been there that's why I'm smiling it's, I, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about it's like yeah. I don't you know if I, I if I couldn't find a friend in New York that I knew that I could crash on a couch I was flying in and out and there's no hotel I didn't have the money for that yeah. Oh, a few hundred dollars. Yeah. 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 And yeah, so we I had a really great meeting and I launched, what is it? Seven, like 18 SKU item. Uh-huh. And uh, I had a small 600 square foot showroom at California Mart. Uh-huh. Nice. And then um, I, my, I was bumming off, not renting because I wasn't paying, but I deserved it because I've worked in the family business for 10 years without getting paid. Yeah. Uh, my mom gave me like a small space on second floor of her warehouse. So oh, nice. that's how I started. Wow. And so how quick did it, like, tell me about this story with that. Like, how quick did it take off? Did you get into stores right away? I know you had some knowledge of the industry, but did you get into CVS or any of it? Oh, not immediately. You can't get into CVS. Right. I mean, getting into CVS is pretty hard. I mean, like yeah. once you could get to like, like CVS, Ulta, like these accounts, that means you've basically made it as a brand. So this was 1999. And in 1999, business was ran very differently. I mean, this is like AOL days. I have yeah. an That's how old I am. <laughs> Yeah, I had one too. (laughs) (laughs) Dot metric printers. And there were like this system. So there were, there was the the consumer, the buyers, retailers, wholesalers, importers, distributors, exporters on the other side of the ocean, right? There were deep steps. So I sat right between the, uh, so I was the distributor actually now. My role was the distributor. And I was selling to the wholesalers that Mm -hmm. were selling to retailers who were selling to the consumers, right? And then back then there were a bunch of uh, trade shows. So I went to a lot of trade shows. Had a lot of booths. Yeah, that's how I basically I built the company going to trade shows. And how did you like, how did you get the original money for it? Like, cause you went and ran some product, like where did that come from to get off the ground? A family investment. So nice. I presented my business idea to my mother, my yep. mother, and she wrote me a check and she said, she actually wrote me a huge check to $250,000. Wow. A lot and of faith. Yeah. Uh, her words were, you know, go and run the company, like do whatever you want to do. Don't fear failure. And she said, if you're going to fail at anything, it is better to have that experience when you're younger than when you're older. That's, and then she just wrote me a check. 
Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, you know, immigrant parents that came over here and built something for themselves. That's a lot of money. So that's huge support. That's really cool to hear. And I've heard that consistently, frankly, with a lot of successful people. Their parents seem to be ungodly supportive of what they do, which I think helps build a lot of confidence. Your mom, who knows you better than almost anyone, your, your coworker, your mom <laughs> saying, here's a quarter million dollars go do it. That gives a lot of, you know, confidence, which I think is what it takes to be successful. Like you got to, because you're going to fail in the short term, so to speak, you're going to have failures. But what keeps you pushing through is like, oh, that's going to happen. I just keep going. Like I'm going to be, you have to kind of believe that it's going to end up okay to keep pushing through it. Yeah. And like, I think starting small is very important too. And like not trying to do too much at one time. And yeah. uh, but like really the key to success is uh, having the confidence, right? And where do you get your confidence is by having all these like small wins under your belt. Like I open one account. Yay. Hooray. I could open another one. Like yeah. go open a little bigger account, little bigger account, little bigger yeah. account instead of, yeah. And then just having a bunch of those like small wins in your life, small successes that just continuously build your confidence. Yeah. So I think it's very important for all the entrepreneur to not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying we should go out and like look for a small, like small projects, small things, but it's essential that you do have those feeling of winning under yeah. your belt. And so when did you hire your first person with Nix? Like, when did you actually bring in help? I was one woman show for at least two, I would say like a, a full year and a half. I was almost oh, wow. one woman show. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. My poor friends. <laughs> would ask them to come help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would, uh, when I went, used to go to like, uh, there, there was a trade show in Las Vegas. It's called ASDMD. I don't know. It's, I think it's still around, but it was a huge trade show, show back in the days. And I used to like lure my friends in, like, let's go to Vegas. I'll buy you all, like I buy you all the meals and you could just sleep in my room and you don't have to pay for the trip. Yep. <laughs> and uh, they would help me at the booth. We had a lot, I had a lot of fun moments. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I I feel the same way. Like I definitely, when we were, when I was starting out, I had very similar experiences and I'd have to call friends to help me ship products when I was doing my t-shirt business. But we also had fun. Like the Vegas, we were at the trade shows too and stuff and going to Vegas, going to the trade shows. There was fun part of it. It It's a grind. Wasn't eating very well, but you made it through. You're in your 20s and like I I was 26, 27, 28, 20, like the whole time, like, you know, you have fun. That's what you do. You work hard and you have a lot of fun too. Yep. Agreed. And so when did you feel like Nix had hit that level of success? When did you look up and go, wow, I built something here? You know, the first year of the business, and this is like me being like one woman company, small 600 square foot showroom in um, California Mart, like literally like my cost of operation is almost like nothing. And I did net sale of $2 million the first year. Oh, and so- that's that's amazing. <laughs> but I had no idea that was a huge success. You don't know yeah. what you don't know, right? True. I have no comparable right. with other businesses. So I just didn't know what is what kind like what kind of a successful company that I had. I was yep. like, okay, <laughs> uh, next product, next product. I was just moving on. And you, as you said, you did no marketing. You just focused on getting into retailers and building good product. Yeah. So basically, you know what my whole thing is sell good product at a good price. Your consumers will tell you whether you have a good product at a good price. Like your consumers are are the judges of your brand and your company. Yep. Yeah. So I think the the like first time I actually like looked at my business and said like, oh my, 
like this is a real brand now is around like 2007-ish as the YouTube, that's when like YouTube kind of started to like really like take off. And that was years into business, right? That That was what, eight years into business. Yeah. Yeah, eight years into business. And like one day, like I just happened to watch YouTube and somebody was doing a tutorial and using like mixed cosmetics. I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm on TV. (laughs) I gotta ask, so let's say year seven, do you remember like what kind of revenue range you were in? 2007, I was, we were doing, I think 2007, we were doing about $18 million. So I love, that's why I ask is because you had an $18 million revenue business that you had built off a quarter million dollars your mom loaned you. And you didn't feel like you had built a major business until someone on YouTube randomly was reviewing your product, which is awesome. I mean, it's it, the reason I say that is because like, I think it's important for people listening, et cetera. Like a lot of times you have your head down, you're just working. Like you don't really know. And then you kind of look up, you're like, oh, wait, what just happened? Oh my God. You like so nailed it. So I raised capital in 2009. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so then like I had like all these like suits come through my doors and they had like, all, like every single one asked the same question. And the question was, who's your competition and like every time i'm like what do you mean competition i'm just doing my thing (laughs) exactly (laughs) you're running your race which competition like i i I never i was never competing with anybody right my own lane doing my own thing and that's all i was focused on when i think there's a brilliance to that because i i I feel the same way where it's like you got to just run your race and there's certain very small amount of industries where there it's more of like a zero-sum game where there's only so much market like i kind of understand the uber lyft situation though i think it's going to change and it's going to be open to more but like most industries there can be hundreds of competitors and it means nothing it's about what you're doing it has nothing you like competing is when you start copying and when you try to compete you end up doing the wrong things like samsung and apple which obviously doing well, but they start to copy each other. And then because that market is finite, it becomes different. But in beauty, there's a lot of room for plenty of competitors that you will never notice because there's plenty of business to go around. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've always said, like, my thing is to everybody in kind of like my industry, right? I wish everybody well, because as the industry, like as the industry grow, the market grows, right? And the market, because the market grew, the industry grew and there's more brand, like it's in harmony. So if everybody does well, it's actually good for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And so you raised money in 2009. How was that? Like you had been able to probably run it pretty much how you wanted to up until then. How was it bringing in a partner? It was good. Um, I had a, well, because we had a minority partner. So I was the majority shareholder anyway. On top of that, we were doing really well, growing very fast and very profitable the entire time. And, you know, I went and my investors, they were really, they're really amazing too. They were a boutique firm from Chicago and they did not interfere with the business too much. Um, I really liked it a lot. They know that I know the beauty business and uh, they let me run the business that how I wanted to run. So they added- Did you raise money for like on the balance sheet or did you take money off the table or both? Like, why did you raise money if you were so profitable already? Yeah, so I didn't take any money off the table. I raised the money for intellectual value, actually. 
because I came to a point where my company grew and grew and grew. The brand was growing very fast, but I felt like I was stuck and I couldn't push forward. And that was getting into a larger market, which is like, I really wanted to get into CVS or I really wanted to get into Walgreens. We were in Ulta, but 2009, Ulta was not as big of an account as it is today. They were big, but not as big as today. And for Sephora, like we weren't in the right price category for Sephora. So my markets were Walgreens, CVS, Target, Walmart, whatnot, like these are called the master retailers. And I really wanted to get into one of those markets and I couldn't, I couldn't find my way in. And I realized that I need to be better connected with distributor, like uh, sales rep groups and, and things like that. And I know any of the sales rap groups. So I was connected with my investor. Their name was HCP uh, mm-hmm. out of Chicago. And they had just exited out of a hair care company that sold in the same market that I wanted to sell in. Got so it. that was like, that was like a really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And so how long, cause you ended up selling the company a few years later, right? I did. We were on, so, you know, when you bring on the investor, yeah. obviously they have their timeline to exit right. the business and it was five to seven years. And yep. at like about like right at about like four years, we were starting to talk about like potential exit and we exited like two months shy of five years of their investment. Got it. And who'd you sell to? L'Oreal. You did. Awesome. And so how was that experience selling to one of the biggest. Oh my God. I'm so happy. I'm ecstatic with the result. You know, they're L'Oreal is a really great brand custodian. And I'm really happy that um, I got to sell my company. Like my, it's not, and you know, you know, how you, Eric, you understand it's no longer your company. It's like your baby. Right? Yeah. No, it's a weird, it's gotta be a weird feeling. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was going to say like, when you started, was that like, did you even have an idea of like what the future looked like? Like, were you like, I'm going to build a $50 million business or I'm going to sell to L'Oreal or when you started, like, was there any of that future in your mind or were you just like, I'm going to go start this because it's needed? <laughs> I knew, I knew eventually I would like, I knew eventually I wanted to exit at one point. Oh. I wasn't building a legacy brand or company that I was going to pass down generation through generation. Yeah. Like I exit was definitely on my mind, but it just wasn't about like how much or when, like that wasn't like really the numbers that I was like constantly thinking of. Yeah. You got it. And I so no idea I was going to sell a company for that amount to that company. Yeah. And so 2014, I assume never needed to work again. Fair to say. Yeah. And pretty sure off memory, you pretty quickly went to work again, right? I did. So July 30, 2014 is the day I sold a company. Basically, that means that's when the wire hit my account. And yeah. that's kind of like that Cosme say uh, transaction. Yeah. So yeah, I went to office that morning and uh, I got an email that the wire had been sent, opened my bank account, counted the zeros. And it was so very unceremonious too. Like it's yeah. That feeling is like really weird. Well, and that's uh, what I, I think that's another really, and I love these because it's people don't know, most people don't ever get insight into this, but it, it, you, you assume that when someone sells a company for whatever it was, eight, nine figures, there's fireworks and champagne <laughs> and a big celebration. And the truth is you look at your bank account, you go, you, you, your heart jumps a little bit, I'm sure. And then you go back to whatever you were doing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And very like anticlimactic too. Like it, it, like it's a, it's a weird feeling, but it also feels like a overexpanded book balloon that like literally somebody came and did boop. Yeah. And then there was nothing. Kind yeah. of. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, no, so, so how did you feel after you did it? Were you excited? Were you happy? Were you relieved? Were you a little sad? Like, what was that feeling once you exited? More sad. Yeah. yeah. I just, my podcast went live yesterday with Barry who founded Lenny and Larry's and he had a mid uh, nine figure exit. And I asked him how he felt about that day. He saw it. He said, worst day of my life. <laughs> No pause. Like, and this is, that's for him. It happened three years ago. And he's like, no, still like, he's like, I, from his perspective, he's like, I basically sold my cookie company to get a bunch of money that I now do real estate. So I basically traded being in the cookie business for real estate. I'd rather be in the cookie business. <laughs> so, and it's, it's hard for people to hear. Cause like, yes, money. The thing is, I assume, as you said, you were hyper profitable 2008, nine, 10, like, but at that point, you were making enough money that I don't, whatever your exit was, I, I, I'm going to ask, like, did you go out and buy anything crazy or did you spend that money or did it change your life at all? No, I lived in the same condo that I was living in. Uh, yeah. I was already, I already had, for instance, people go out and buy a car. Da, da, da. Yeah. I already had a Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah. And no, actually, yeah. no. I went home that day. I went home and I went to sleep and I slept, <laughs> of course. Well, Taking a rest. I mean, a lot of running a company is exhausting. You get a point to rest. I get that. Did you have any type of period being an executive under L'Oreal? Did you stay for a little while? No, I had a CEO. So oh. I worked out. Yeah, I, the company was full, like full running, operational without my, me being there every day. Uh-huh. So um, I had a CEO, like I had a CFO. So everybody stayed on. I got paid. I walked out. So I have five years non-compete out of the beauty industry. So yeah. I couldn't be in the beauty industry. So uh, July 30th, and I set up my office just with one accounting person and I have my uh, personal assistant. And on August, oh, the, the following Monday, I started an office and I was actually, and then like, exactly, I went into acquiring real estate. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what everyone knows to do. Like everyone hears the same thing. Once you make a little money, you buy real estate. That's the path. <laughs> I started acquiring real estate. So that kept me busy for a while. But you know, real estate is like really boring. Yeah. It's good money. It's like very safe, very, I mean, you have to be smart about it, but still it can be pretty safe, consistent money. It makes you a lot of money, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily exciting. It's so boring. Basically it's numbers on Excel sheet. Yeah. And it's all about, it's just about the cap rate and um, cost. And it's just a number on the Excel sheet. And when you are a consumer products company, when you're a CPG person and you have that in you, it's hard to just be in a real estate business because it doesn't satisfy your, your soul. Yep. How to start another company. Yep. So when did you, and what did you end up doing? I started a sunglass company. (laughs) And what year was that? When did you start that? And I I will admit, I don't know if we, you and I ever connected directly, but our teams worked together on the launch of it. But this is when your office was in Santa Monica. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's when we first got connected. But yeah. So what year was that when you started that? I'm trying to remember too. 2016. So it was exactly two years after I had launched. I started it one year after, and I launched it two years after. Yeah. Or we the the we were the uh, official sponsor at Coachella. I remember. Bon Jovi was the headliner. Yeah, that was awesome. And 
And how, how, like, I guess the one thing I'm curious about, like you've made, again, you, at that point, you've probably bought some real estate. You're making plenty of money. It's super fun. And I agree, but like, what drove you and how did you put in the work and the grind to, cause starting a company, I don't care how much money you have behind you. You got to grind, like to make, get something off the ground. Even if it took a year, like you had to go source sunglasses, find a partner, designer, all that. Like yeah. what drove you to do that? Was it just fun or did like, what about it drew you to it again? I was, my intention was to do it for fun out of passion. And uh, I thought I did a lot of research on sunglass business and I got into it. And uh, I remember there were, uh, there were a lot of joy to it too. For instance, I got to China um, because I used to source a lot of my products from like China. And I used to go to like, I used to do factory business all the time in Asia. And there were like with my last company, like there were one moment I'm like, I never want to be at a factory ever again in my life. And then the second round with the sunglass business, I got to a factory in Asia. I'm like, oh my God, I miss this so much. The squatty toilet and everything. (laughs) But actually my second business, the sunglass business was an epic failure. I've recently exited out of the sunglass business fully earlier in earlier last year, but 2020. Yeah. Earlier 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say I had the company for about a little over three years and it was a lot of, it was an epic failure. I lost a lot of money too doing what I did. But one thing I could say for sure is I would not trade this experience with anything else because it was an epic failure that taught me an epic lesson. And what's that? Be humble. So do you think you came into it and you were like, I did so well the first time, this is going to be easy. And that's how you came into it? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. And it, I mean, you're very far from unique in that there is a, like, a, I know that there's a certain like actual coefficient around the second time entrepreneur after an exit and the failure rate is so much higher because I think we all get used to it. Like you had a cash flow business that was making tens of millions. I don't know. It got to hundreds of millions of dollars. You were able to throw money at things that you needed to fix. Like when you have that type of operating business, you can spend money to fix problems. When you're back to a startup, you're used to that type of operation. You also have money that in your own bank account that you could use. So you start doing the same kind of habits, but you don't have the revenue to match it yet. And it can do that, I assume is part of what happened. 100% and some more. Yeah. I was just, I was like, oh, fine. Write a check, write a check, write a check. How much is it? Fine. Pay the bill, pay the invoice. Da, 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 da. I didn't have a sales department. <laughs> I had a marketing department, graphic, da, 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 da. I didn't have a sales department. And the thing is like, I was like, I realized how much running a startup business I had forgotten over the years because I was so used to everybody doing everything for me, not beginning stage, but at a later stage, I had the company close to 15 years and I had 250 employees. So, you know, you come out thinking, you know, everything, but you really don't. Yep. No, I think it's valid. I think most CEOs wouldn't be self-aware enough for that, but would relate if they really were honest with themselves is like, if you have 250 employees, the amount you do as a CEO diminishes other than coordinating and talking and meeting, like you do a lot less of anything else. So yeah. what you, when it comes time to roll up your sleeve and do stuff, you're going to like, wait, how do I do this? Like, what am I doing? I remember I had to, a few years ago and we've Hawks been around seven years, but it was, I think three years ago, we had a client that on Thanksgiving was desperate to get some ads live. I didn't want to make anyone on my team work Thanksgiving. So I was like, I'll just do it. I hadn't been in Facebook for two years. And I opened it up. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I figured it out. But it was like, you know, I run a, I have a team of 40 Facebook buyers, I think. And I had no idea. It took me a little while. 
Yeah, and things change so fast these days. I was I was flabbergasted at, at how little I knew. Yeah. So that was such a that was such an amazing experience. Yeah, like horrible yet amazing. <laughs> yeah, listen, it's it's a bad experience, but if you learn from it, and uh, you'll end, I'm sure you'll end up better for it because that brings us. So what? Where did you go from there? Like, how long did you stick with that before you decided to step out? Because I assume it wasn't until 2020. Like, it sounds like you were already kind of out, but now you're fully out. Yes. So I was I was trying to make it work and make it work and make it work, and it just wouldn't. And uh, I actually, and that uh, during that time, my non compete expired. So that that was 2019, July 30s, when my non-compete expired. And I was free to do what I really have passion and my talent, you know, like an industry that I really have passion and talent for. So my non-compete expired. So I started a new beauty company. And as I started a new beauty company, I exited out of um, the sunglass company. Nice. And so what's your, I want to hear about the beauty company. So it's called Bespoke Beauty Brands. The easiest way to say is uh, it's a beauty incubator. It's a little bit different because we are not incubating a company and let just like like let the brand each go brand go off. But I do an equity deal with uh, influencers and celebrities, fashion designers. Uh, the first brand we did was with uh, Kim Chi Shik, the drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. Second brand that we uh, just soft launched and we're gonna launch in Target on January 17th is with the fashion designer. Um, his name is Jason Wu. So it's collaborative partnership equity deal. Uh huh. Nice. That's awesome. And so what and what are you doing as a part of it? Like, are you just opening doors, getting them into stores, giving them guidance? Like, how are you partnering? No, we, we do everything. Oh, we so do. you do everything and they're they're putting their name on it and helping be the promotional one. Yeah, yeah. They're the they're the inspiration. So basically my company is a facilitator of their dream. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. And how many people are you at the company now? Right now we are about 18 total. Uh-huh. But, you know, some of the office staff, there are, there are staffs that could do work from home, but unfortunately the warehouse, you, warehouse cannot run, yeah. be ran on work from home model. So, you know, we do have the warehouse mm-hmm. operating, but there's, you know, I'm like right now, currently I'm down like three people at my warehouse. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, it's challenging. <laughs> yeah, crazy time. And so last couple of questions for me. What's next? Where, where do you want to take this? Like, what do you think's next for you? Oh, gosh. The next is uh, I have uh, two other brands that's lined up. Uh, one's in uh, Men's Skin Caroline, another one with a influencer. I'm doing a lash line. And I, I just signed the fifth contract. I can't say the name yet, but with an international icon. So continue to launch like beautiful brands that speaks its its, uh, its really true, unique brand narrative and build beautiful brand. I don't want to think too far along or too far ahead. I want to set short-term goals and I want like, I'm setting goals in terms of six month increments. And for now, like all I'm focusing on, again, I want to dive back into my lane, doing my own thing and like turn off the noise, you know, yep. turn off the noise. It's a, just build your, like it's a tunnel and I see the end and the, Yep. No, those, yeah, short-term goals are amazing. I mean, it's the same thing like anything in life, like a fitness goal, a diet goal. Like if you said, okay, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be my diet for the next five years. It's like, well, that's not sustainable, but like three months, six months, like I'm going to be health, whatever, like those short-term attainable goals for everything, I think are a really good way to run. And so my last question on that is yeah. you've given a ton of different advice on this, but what would be for anyone that wants to pursue their dream that really wants to be, you know, a top player in that space, they're super passionate. What would be the one piece of advice you have to really achieve your dreams? 
you know, I always say the company with the best model is Nike. Just do it. Yeah. There's yep. nothing to it, but just to do it. Just do it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. It's amazing how many people just need to hear that too. And just, just get it done. Just go. Yeah. You'll figure go. it out. There's, and then figure yeah. out the rest. Don't think too much. Don't like, yeah. don't make your business plan like too complicated and too thick because that actually acts as going to uh, weight you down and yeah. you get trapped in your own future ideology that you cannot be flexible. The most, the real strength comes from being flexible. Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I agree. Well, Tony, thank you so much for being on Hawk Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Talk soon. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.